doors, passageways. We looked several weeks ago at a door that represented all of creation, that with the advent of Jesus, with His coming, we find that the entire world was involved in it, that God so arranged everything to point toward the birth of the Messiah. may not have been obvious to many, but to those with eyes of faith, creation points to Jesus. Then we looked at a door that talked about time, that one up there on the left, a clock, the tick-tock, the passage of each moment, using time wisely, and talking about how Christmas is an opportunity for us to realize that there's that normal day-to-day chronology of life, and then every once in a while there's that defining moment that comes our way. Then we looked at a door last week that uh, represents a trip, a journey, the four points of the compass, reminding us that there are some geographical reference points in the story of Christmas and how those places on the map bring out lessons for life. But then today, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, fourth Sunday of Christmas, we think of a door that represents dreams. Dreams. That's a word that we define in perhaps a a far different way than the Bible defines dreams. Dreams are not in the Scripture to be construed as whether they're in black and white or technicolor or whether they're just fleeting visions or nonsensical images that happen during a certain period of sleep. But dreams, visions, that behind them we find the very promises of God. My name is Benjamin. I am a shepherd. You can tell by these shabby robes that I wear. If you get close enough to me, you can smell livestock, in particular, sheep. I've grown up all of my life in the area of the village of Bethlehem, tending the flocks of not only our family, but of the co-op families that share the responsibility of providing sheep for the temple. You see, Bethlehem is just about a six-mile journey from the big city. And our pasture area is almost within sight of the pinnacle of the great temple. I'm Benjamin. I'm a shepherd. But I never will forget that one night. It was like any other. We had numbered the sheep. We counted them. We knew the ones that we were going to pull aside because they were the ones that we were contracted to give to the temple for worship and sacrifice. Funny thing. The temple depended upon us to supply the sheep for sacrifice, but... We were always shunned. I would never be able to step into the temple. Not good enough. Not clean enough. Not eloquent enough. 
It really didn't matter. My place was simply to raise the sheep, pick out the best ones, make sure they were delivered to the sheep pens next to the temple. And my job was done. But down deep inside, there was always this dream. And the dream was fulfilled that night. Interesting that an angel would appear to us. That we would be given the message that no one else received. That right in our area, not in Jerusalem, not in the innermost part of that temple that I would never see, but in our own village, we were to look for a child, a newborn. The sign would be that we would find him wrapped in swaddling cloths, the the kind of rags that, that we used in taking care of the livestock, and that we would find him in a feeding trough. So being is the fact that Bethlehem isn't that big, being the fact that we went on that search, we found the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in that manger. And I realized that all these sheep I've been raising all of my life to be given for sacrifice, that I was looking at the ultimate sacrifice. Because I knew that all those sacrifices of animals looked forward to the coming of a Messiah. And this indeed was the Messiah. And he would be a sacrifice, my sacrifice. Benjamin, the filthy shepherd's sacrifice. What I've been raising all of my life, representing that one Messiah. God gave me the hope, the vision, rekindled the dream that I had almost forgotten. I saw the Lord. My name is Balthasar. Strange name. I'm a wise man. And that's really a wise crack because I'm really no wiser than anyone else. But because I had spent my life as a scholar in the study of the stars and the study of the study of anything out there that would help me in my search, I followed it with all the passion that I could muster. I'm known in the scripture unnamed. Really, no one knows how many of us visited the child that night. But there were three of us, three that led this entourage. I'm Balthasar, and my colleagues, Caspar and Melchor, came along with me. We had been studying and looking for signs because there was something that was deep inside of me ever since I can remember. You can call it a dream. You call it a vision. You can call it just fiction if you want or fantasy. But it became real to us. It started with a star, the aligning of whatever is up there, the constellations. And it was the brightest star. And we knew that there was something important that would be found in the direction of that star. So we began a journey. And we found the family. 
in the little house. And though it was much different than we expected, for we expected royal robes, we expected a palace, we expected all of the finery that comes with royalty, but we found the answer in a small house in Bethlehem. You see, I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. But I had been searching and I had a dream that I would find the answer to my lostness. And we did that night. I saw the Lord. My name is Simeon, a good Jewish name because I come from a good Jewish family. I'm a prophet, but of all the prophets you read about in Scripture, you won't hear too much about me because, you see, I was always viewed as a little strange. I was always viewed as just being a little off, off the the main road, and I would never ever go back any other way. I would never have lived my life any other way. Because you see, the Lord gave me a dream. The Lord gave me a vision. The Lord gave me a promise. And that promise was, I would live to see God's anointed Messiah. When I received that message, I can't explain it any other way, but my life was consumed with that search. And I knew where to find him. God's Messiah would be brought to the temple at some point in time. There was no getting around that. And so that's where I lived out my life of prophetic ministry. People would laugh at me moving from home back to the temple every day of my life, asking me when I was going to get a real job, Asking me when I was going to grow up, even as an old man. They called me just a dreamer. And I sat there and I watched countless families bringing their babies to the temple for the the time of their dedication. And I can't explain it any other way, but I saw them. I knew That of all the search I had gone through all these years, of all of the the little babies I looked down upon their faces and seen their moms and dads, I can't explain it any other way than just God fulfilling that dream. But I held the anointed one in my arms and I blessed his family. And I talked about him being the light of revelation to not only Jews but Gentiles. That got me into trouble too. But I also talked about the other side of his ministry, the other side of this child's life, that he would be the cause of the fall and the rise of many. Because you see, in my day, as I imagine in your day, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus either saves or it pushes people away because you have to make a decision about him. My life wasted because of a dream? No. For you see, I 
saw the Lord. My name is Anna. I live in Jerusalem, and I have spent many years wondering and waiting for a life to be fulfilled. Many would look at my life and call it insignificant, but I learned a long time ago that meaning and significance is not defined by wealth or by fame. In fact, God brought meaning to my life in ways I never even imagined possible. I'm around 100 years old. My exact age doesn't really matter. What matters is that I've seen life from so many different vantage points. I met my husband, Nathaniel, when we were teenagers. We were so in love and we dreamed of a life that was full, our arms full of children and days full serving the Lord together. But that dream died when he died. We were only married for seven years. Through grief and despair, I moved forward, still clinging to hope for a full life. I never remarried because the opportunity never presented itself. But I still hoped and longed for fullness. I know that the fact that I never remarried could lead to to emptiness and to despair. But you know what? The hope of seeing God's Messiah actually consumed the rest of my life. And that dream was fulfilled when I was 84 years old. I spent most of my time in the temple serving God in Jerusalem, serving his people. And it was there one day when I heard Simeon's voice so loud and so excited. Now you have to know that he was a godly man. He spent a lot of his time in the temple as well. And we shared the same passion of seeing and recognizing God's Messiah. So when I heard his voice, I knew. I knew that he was finally in the presence of the promised one. So I ran following his voice, and it was there that I saw them. I saw the couple holding their baby. I saw him blessing their family, and I heard words of encouragement and words of judgment. I was able to greet Mary and Joseph, and I got to hold the baby, Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And when I think of that moment and I remember him in my arms, I know that that was when I knew God kept his word, that he fulfilled his promise, that my dreams were not lost dreams, empty dreams, or fabled fantasies, because I saw the Lord. Believing the dream of a Savior, be it a shepherd or a rich, wise scholar, or a priest who seemed to waste all of his time looking for something that would never materialize in the minds of most, or a faithful widow. These are the pictures of people in the Scripture who understood that the coming of the Messiah was all about dreams, rekindling of hope, Believing the vision. 
And in a world that seemed to them so out of sync, because it was and still is today, in a world that seemed to be spinning out of control, these people held on to the dream. And it changed their lives. You see, people who hold on to dreams are often misunderstood. You look at the lives of these four that we just painted a brief picture. We've read into the text a little bit, of course. But I think all in all, it rings true that this shepherd, this scholar, this priest, and this faithful woman, they aligned their lives with a vision and a dream of salvation and of God's fulfillment of his word. And because of that, because of that walk, because of that path, because of that faithfulness, they seemed out of step with the rest of the world. And they were. But they would have never changed the outcome. As misunderstood as they were, they held fast to it. You see, dreamers like these we've listed and talked about today, they look beyond what is obvious and they celebrate with the hope of that dream, that vision, that rekindling of hope that they have that comes from God. I want to ask you to consider doing the same thing this Christmas season. That in a day and an age when the message of Christmas can be watered down, we can argue all we want about the kind of greeting we give to people, whether it's happy holidays or we can take aim at a coffee company that seems to have offended a great deal of us. Put all those things aside and put all of the, the, the idea of Christmas that we see from the secular point of view, put it aside for a moment and spend just a little time thinking about the fact The Christmas is really all about the fulfilled vision and dream that God has implanted in every single one of us. Are we willing to look beyond what the world says is important? Are we able to go beyond what they say to do and focus on? Focus on the dream that captivated a shepherd, a wise man, and two senior adults. There is a Christmas dream, if you will. That's what I call it. It's a very, very strange and exciting passage that's found in the Old Testament. The book of 1 Kings chapter 3. I want to summarize and set the context. Then I want you to look at this dream, this prayer dream along with me. You remember the greatest king in Israel's history will always be David. Jerusalem. Bethlehem, all thought of and named after the importance of David. The birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem, the city of David. But David's son Solomon, known as the wisest man ever, when he was young, when he was first assuming his position of leadership, God spoke to him in a dream. It says in 1 Kings 3, verse 5, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. That's amazing. You think about Christmas and the requests. You think about what people want. And a lot of our culture is built around Christmas 
wishes and the idea of naming something and hoping and wishing that it would come true. Well, here's God coming to a young king and pretty much just opening the opportunity for him to ask for anything. That's what he said. God's desire is to ask him a question and get the answer. What do you want, Solomon? If you've ever had an open invitation, a blank checkbook, if you want to look at it that way, this is an unbelievable thing. We rarely talk about it happening, and yet here it is. Solomon, ask what you wish me to give you. Well, in the verses following, let me summarize them. Solomon swallowed hard, it seems. And then he began to think about the past, and he thanked God for the past blessings. He said, Lord, thank you for the opportunity you've given me to serve. Thank you for my father, David, who was faithful. Thank you for always looking out after us and pointing us in the right direction. And then Solomon speaks to God about his desire. It says in verse 9, So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon, what do you want? Solomon thanks God for past blessings and then specifically asks for an understanding heart. God says in verse 10, It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has not been... There has been no one like you before you, nor shall like anyone like you arise after you. But I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you in all your days. Hmm. What do you want, Solomon? If you were asked that question, what would you say? Would you ask for riches? Would you ask for long life? Would you ask for revenge on all the hurts and the wrongs that have been aimed toward you throughout the years? That's what that phrase means, ask for the life of your enemies. Do you want to have them march before you so that you can mow them down? Are those the things? Those are the typical things that anyone would ask for. It's what the Bible passage is saying. And yet Solomon Ask for an understanding heart. Do we have room in our hearts for Jesus today? See, if we're, if we're to take a passage like this, and when I call it a, a Christmas dream, I'm just simply adding that word Christmas because that's the season of the year when we all have that pull and push, that, that give and take between I want to give, but I also want to receive. So when we talk about this prayer, this request, this really, God coming to Solomon and saying, lay it out here. What do you want? I'll give it to you. And I think God would have honored his word. If Solomon had asked for 
long life, if he had asked for riches beyond compare, if he had asked for the ability to exact revenge and punish anyone he wanted, God would have let him have it. And he would have reaped the consequences of it as well. So when we take a prayer like this and a request like this and an answer like this, how do we bring it forward to where we are today? We're not kings. We don't have the ability to point our finger and have things happen like Solomon could. So what is it? What does it come down to for us? I think it would come down that if we were to say our parallel answer where Solomon asked for an understanding heart to lead a nation, we would pray and dis- to, that we could discern God's will, God's path for us, that dream. I think for a church like ours, we do well to categorize those markers of doing and loving God. We call them core commitments. Remember them. We don't say them every single time we gather. But you'll see them printed from place to place in our literature and in our worship guides, that our commitments are to Jesus, to his followers, and to his world. Now take those three, that if we say we want to align our lives this Christmas and every day going forward, we want to align it with those commitments, how would that change your life? How would it change your wish list? How would it change your giving patterns? How would it change your willingness to serve and to give of yourself? Do you have room in your heart and in your life? For the master. Because you see folks. It all comes down. To God given dreams. Vision. Not fleeting wishes. Not just fantasy. Not just those crazy things. That you wake up from. And you laugh at some of it. And you can't remember most of it. I'm talking about that. God given vision and promise. Really, that's how we ought to say it. The promise that he has made to us because he loves us. And because he sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us. We're not shepherds. But we all wear filthy rags of sin. We're not wise scholars. But we all are looking and searching for that answer. We're not all eminent, faithful prophets. And we don't have too many women like Anna in our midst, though we have some. But we all share in common with these four a God-given promise to pursue. What will you pursue this Christmas? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to call upon your name, to sing the carols of the season, and Lord, yes, to respond to your invitation. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God does invite us. He invites us every time we come before him to make choices. And so we conclude this hour with a time of invitation, a time of commitment, for it could well be that you're here today and you have never said yes to Christ. That vision, that dream, perhaps it died a long time ago. Perhaps you've been let down. Perhaps you've forsaken the idea of God in His church for whatever reason. But I ask you today to look at your own life and to rekindle. Let God rekindle through His Spirit, just like He did in the lives of people that surrounded the birth of the Lord. 
to receive him, to accept his gift of eternal life. You can only do so by faith. We invite you to come as part of this invitation. Maybe you're here today and what you need to do is follow through as Lily did today with believer's baptism. You're a believer but have never taken that step of obedience. Let's talk about it. Schedule a time for you to experience Baptism as a believer of your own choosing. Maybe a church home is where you need what you need this year. Maybe part of that walk and fulfilling that dream is being connected to a community. Because if you're not, it's real easy to feel all alone out there. We offer our congregation, our church. And how do you join? You come forward. And then maybe it's simply thinking about those visions, those commitments... Maybe you made one long time ago. And for whatever reason, you walked away from it. Maybe it was taken away from you. Doesn't matter. The dream that God gives is real. And He's waiting to bless your life. So whatever that means for you, thank Him just as Solomon did. And consider carefully what you ask of Him. It can make all the difference in the world. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you. Ray and Liz and Lon here in our church, people who make themselves available every time we meet just for the opportunity and privilege to to pray with you. Come forward and we'll hook you up, connect you with them for prayer. That's our invitation. We stand together as we sing. We ask you to step out as God leads.